Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14, and Daniel chapter 9, verses 2 through 5, and 20 to 23. And if you have a device, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Jeremiah 29, verses 10 to 14. Daniel chapter 9, verses 2 through 4, I'm sorry, through 5, and 20 to 23. And uh, the one thing I want you to keep in mind, uh, we were talking about um, how to be a man of God and what a man of God looks like. And we're going to pause and the reason why we're going to pause is because of the fact that we are heading into our consecration, uh, beginning on our Lent season consecration, beginning on uh, March 1st, which is Ash Wednesday, and it will go through uh, Easter, which is April the 16th. And I want to give you some instructions to prepare for the consecration. And then we'll get back to our series. Um, let me see. I just want to. Uh, let me see. Young man. Yes. You Can I borrow you? Okay. I'm going to borrow you in about 15 minutes. Okay. Don't worry. It pays. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 through 14, New Living Translation. This is what the Lord says. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years. For 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and they're not plans for disaster. No matter what you're going through right now, it will not be a disaster. My plans are to give you a future and a hope. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and I will restore your fortunes. Praise the Lord. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate 
must be abandoned, must be a mess for 70 years. So I turn. Excuse me. So I turned to the Lord and I pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore a rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Ash Wednesday. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed, O Lord, you are great. You are a great and awesome God. Great and mighty is our God. You always fulfill your covenant. You always keep your promises of unfailing love to those who you love and to those who obey your commandments. But we have sinned and we've done wrong. Verse 20, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for the city of Jerusalem. Gabriel came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I am here to tell you what it was for you are precious to God. Folks, you are precious to God. You are precious to God. Can you tell the person next to you, you are precious to God. You're precious to God. Sometimes we can come to church and feel beat up. But I want you to know God is saying you are precious to him. Listen carefully so that you can understand. I, I want to speak to you on the subject consecration. So that you understand. And hopefully get a revelation and, and a picture in your heart what God wants to do in this season. As you know, we are celebrating our 90th year uh, in, as, a, as a church, praise the Lord, by his grace. And I'll always be thrilled with that because we really should have been closed down and locked up and turned into condos. But the Lord has been faithful. And I find it very refreshing to know that the consecration that we'll be in is actually uh, going to be uh, surrounding our actual birthday as a church. Our church became, we became a church in uh, on March 22nd, 1927, I believe. Yeah, March 22nd. So though we'll be celebrating and, and partying and having a good time in October, the actual date is going to be on uh, March 22nd. And so we're going to have a mini celebration on March 19th. So mark your calendars. Uh, we're bringing in some speakers that were raised in our church. So we're really excited about what God's going to do. But in the midst of our 
celebration is the consecration. The word consecrate, and I think I, I will borrow, can I borrow my, my buddy here? Is his name, your name is Elijah? Oh, that's a good name. Elijah, my God. Yes, I, I knew, I didn't want to call him Rachel's brother, uh, cause I know he has a name. See, that I didn't know his name, I just said my brother. <laughs> uh, but Elijah, Eli Jehovah, my God is the Lord. And so the word consecrate means to set apart for God's use, to set apart for God's use. And so it is a season where if, uh, um, Elder Cameron, if you could stand up over here, it is a season where, you know, where we have a lot of things that are holding our attention. Amen. A lot of things, TV, videos, uh, social media, holding our attention. And during this season, we have decided that we will set ourselves apart from stuff and so that God can use us. Okay. That's, that's what we're doing. And it's, and it's, and watch this. It, it is, <laughs> oh Jesus, it is, Elijah, what I want you to do is, is to put that down. Okay. So it is, it is a voluntarily, volu- it is us volunteering to put stuff away as opposed to, can you, as opposed to God prying things right. out of our, out of our hands and we set ourselves apart and we turn ourselves to God so that God can use us. That's what the consecration looks like. Here you go, sir. That's worth two. That's what consecration means. It means to make sacred, to, to make set apart. I make myself set apart for God's use. Briefly, Babylon invades Jerusalem in 606 B.C. And Daniel and his three companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is the names that were given to them. That's not their Jewish names. They are taken captive in 606 B.C. It's interesting that his name, Daniel, means God is my judge, meaning that no matter what situation I'm in, God is still my decision maker. He is taken from Jerusalem, meaning the city of peace, and he is taken 900 miles away to Babylon, which means confusion. We can be so far away from peace, we're wondering, is there any way that we're going to get back to that place? Now, you need to understand that the average Jewish person during that time probably never traveled 30 miles away from their place of birth. So you're talking about 
900 miles that you have been taken away from your home. Ezekiel was also a part of this deportation. Are you following me so far? And the power of Ezekiel is that as powerful a man he was who was prophetic, he never saw his homeland again. And 595 B.C., 11 years later, the mindset of folks is we're going to, sooner or later we're going to get out of Jerusalem, I mean out of Babylon, and we're probably going to get out pretty soon. It's been 11 years. It's been a decade. And Jeremiah rises up and says, you're going to be here another 59 years. He told them, you're going to be here in Babylon, so you might as well pray for the peace and blessings of Babylon because you're going to be there for a while. Build houses, have children, have grandchildren. You're going to be here for a while. Of course, false prophets, prophets came up and said, no, that's not true. 11 years go by, and that's when Jeremiah says, you're going to be here for 70 years. But we know God knows the plan he has for you. Babylon comes in again for a third and a second invasion. And then they came in finally in 586, 20 years after Daniel was taken captive. And this time they burned Jerusalem down to the ground and destroyed the temple. So you can imagine 20 years going by and you get news that your home city has been destroyed. And you're saying to yourself, will God ever fulfill his promises? Are you with me? Will, will God ever, will I ever get back to that place? Another 70 years goes by. Daniel, they, my guess is Daniel, uh, he's probably taken a captive of Babylon somewhere around 16 years old. So let's say he's now 86 years old. 70 years go by. And while he's reading the word, he notices Jeremiah's prophecy. And he's, he, he realizes, whoa, I've been here 70 years could it be that this is the time that God gets us out of here? I believe, I am not sure if Daniel came upon that prophecy naturally. Are you with me so far? Because in 538 BC, Persia came in and defeated Babylon. And I believe that triggered off in Daniel, wait a minute. Maybe God is doing something here and he looks at his calendar and realizes almost 70 years is up for God to get us out of here. 
songs were very important because when they got taken captive in Babylon, everybody with me so far? They write a song in Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we wept. And our captors said to us, why don't you sing us one of those joyful praise songs that I heard you folks sing back in Jerusalem. And they said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And probably what broke their hearts is that it says, by the rivers of Babylon, by the rivers of Babylon. I believe what broke their heart is, you may not know this, but when a Jewish person came to a town, they would look for a synagogue. And a synagogue could only be constructed if there were like about five families around there. So if there was no synagogue, if you wanted to find a Jewish person at the hour of prayer, you would go to the river. And that's why Paul's uh, 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 practice was always to first look for a synagogue. And then if he couldn't find a synagogue, he would go to a river because he knew at the hour of prayer, Jews would be praying. And so you find this nation that was once used to worshiping in this glorious temple, now 900 miles away from the temple, no synagogue, and they're down by the river weeping, saying, how could, how could this have happened to us? But then... 70 years later, God supernaturally releases them to return back to Jerusalem in 536 B.C. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, there was another song written in Psalm 126. It says, when the Lord returned us back to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. And I believe for some of you, God is going to turn things around and you're going to say, I can't believe that we are finally here, wherever here is. I can't believe that we finally have our home. I can't believe that we finally have this job. I can't believe I'm finally in this ministry. I can't believe we are finally here. My mouth is filled with laughter and singing and the heathen will say unbelievers will say the Lord has done great things for you hallelujah thank you Jesus thank you Jesus after going decades of seeing this church with attendance of probably about 50-ish and when we finally saw the balcony filled and knew we had to go to two services I could, all I sense in my heart is that, wow, the Lord has turned our captivity. This is, this is like a dream. That, to, to think that before we went to two services, that people, if you didn't get 
in here by 10 minutes to 11. You weren't going to get a seat. When, when I was growing up, you could come 10 minutes before the service ended and still and find a pew. Not a seat, a bench, a pew. And so to see what God has done, it is like a dream. And then for God to say, oh, I haven't stopped yet. I'm going to give you another building. Another building, it is like a dream. My mouth is filled with praise and laughter. And every time people say, how do you do it? I said, the Lord has done great things for us. And that's why I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. Can you tell the person next to you, the Lord has done great things for you? You just, want, you just may not recognize it yet. Amen. Amen. He, he's, already, he's always at work behind the scenes, having somebody advocate for your case. You have no idea. God is always working. God is always working. But here's a point I want to um, emphasize, and that is through this whole picture, and that is prayer and fasting enforces the promises of God. Prayer and fasting enforced the promises of God. In other words, though there was a promise to be released in 70 years, Daniel couldn't just sit around waiting for it to happen. The Bible says when he, when the alarm clock, not that there was an alarm clock, but when he recognized this was the time for the Lord to fulfill his promise, he began to seek God in prayer and fasting because prayer enforces the promises. And I think that for some of us, we have had prophetic words and, and promises, and we, we have sat around in our spiritual lives like we're waiting for a UPS package, like we're waiting for Federal Express. Okay, God, you spoke it. Let me wait around. And, and you need to understand that we have to pray because though God has promised uh, uh, blessings to us, the enemy also has heard those promises. And he's going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that they don't get to you so that your faith will waver. So when we got prophecies that this place would be filled and this place would be uh, uh, bulging at the walls. We weren't just sitting around waiting for it to happen, but we had uh, faithful people, like as I keep saying it over over again, like Mother Watson and and uh, and Mother uh, Mother Brown and and Mother uh, Darlington and and many others who had prayed and 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 kept praying and kept praying. Though people were leaving, and see, this is the thing I want to encourage you: when you get a word, the Bible says that Satan fights the word so don't be surprised if when you get a prophetic word everything gets worse he is trying to make you to become so discouraged that you let go of the profession of your faith but the writer says in Hebrews chapter 10 let us hold firmly to the profession of our faith without wavering because God is faithful who promised he's faithful 
And so uh, there's four things I want to give you as direction for this consecration. And, and, and you don't have to write these down. If you want to get here, stop, fine. But we're going to send this out through PTCB. If you're not on PTCB, uh, go to our website and join because we're going to make sure that you have these instructions uh, via website and also PTCB. But number one, our purpose of fasting, our purpose of fasting is not to make your life miserable. Here we go again, another fast. Oh, my goodness. Let me make sure I get in all the pancakes and pizza and steak I can because it's going to be bye-bye, Mr. Donut. You know, no. Our purpose, number one, is to get God's direction. Daniel's name means God is my judge. God is my decision maker. There is some very, and and I want to speak especially to you, who are dads and husbands, there is some very critical direction you need to get for your families. And you have to get that from God. Number two, I want us to be fasting and praying about our four goals for Pentecostal Tabernacle this year. Number one, uh, again, a reminder, we want to renovate PT South, the outside. Number two, this church reorg, and as you know, our, uh, annual, our annual meeting, we haven't had one in a while. We're really rebu- rebooting. And so on Tuesday, February 28th at 7 o'clock is our annual meeting. If that means members only, partners only. So if you are a partner, there's a lot of people say they're members of our church. If you have not gone through class, you're not a member. Okay? Now, it doesn't mean we don't want you. It means we want you to go to class. Okay? So um, that that night is for uh, partners only. And we're going to talk about our reorg. Uh, we're going to talk about again our iPad that we want to grow. Influ- we want to grow leaders, influencers. We want to grow in pastoral care. We want to grow in our administration and discipleship. Number three, I want us to pray about our 90th anniversary this year. We want to celebrate 90 years to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. And number four, we want to raise up millennial leaders. We want to really. Uh, pour into salt in our Sunday school and our youth ministry. So one of the things I recommend you do, it's a recommendation. You don't have to do this. Okay. Did I say it's a recommendation? Okay. Recommendation I have for you is avoid, try to avoid social media, video games, and TV during the fast. Mmm. Mmm. Mm. Woo! I, to, to make you feel better about this, I was talking to a pastor yesterday. He was struggling, and and I said, you know what? You got to get serious about seeking God. I said, you know, have you done a consecration yet? Because I know, you know some churches do consecrations where they do the first 21 days of the year. I, I, and um, I've always said to pastors that, that do that, you are more spiritual than I am. Amen. Because coming off of Christmas meals and New Year's and my birthday, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to hear from God. I'll just be honest with you. I ain't trying to, no, no. So I, I'm carnal. I wait. I give my body two months to warm up. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, yes, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If we have a consecration at the beginning of the year, you know that I really, really heard from God. Because I usually as the year turns around, I'm like, la, la, la. Yeah, okay. But I said to him, you got, you got to fast. You, you, you got to have some kind of consecration because you're in a dire state. And I said, well, what do you need to do? And no lie. I said, you, you, you need to, you know, maybe turn off the television, get off of social media. He went, oh, Jesus. <laughs> this is a pastor. <laughs> oh. So I text him an email. I text, text him and said, uh, remember. In fact, I read this line to him. This was Mark Batterson's book that I'm going to recommend that you get. It's called Draw the Circle, a 40-day prayer challenge. And it says this. He writes this. He says, for 13 years, I was frustrated. So finally, when my level of frustration hit an all-time low, I decided to do a 40-day media fast out of desperation. Woo! And he said, uh, and then he goes on to say, you know, what happened that God really blessed him. You can read it when you get the book. But he says, but he says, um, but while the obvious kind of fast involves food, a media fast can be just as powerful. Some of you are like, I would rather go without food. But that, let me just. <laughs> God, do you want anything else? <laughs> If we want to hear the voice of God, we've got to get rid of the noise in our lives. A television fast or Facebook fast, oh Jesus, may be precisely where we need, what we need to hear God's voice more clearly. Amen. You can have that. <laughs> She's like, I wish you didn't give it to me. <laughs> Uh, I was reading a chapter uh, of um, spiritual disciplines by Adelie Calhoun. Did I pronounce her name right? Adele. Adele Calhoun. Uh, Reverend Jeff knows her. And um, one of the spiritual disciplines she writes about, there's about 65, something like that in this book. But she writes about the discipline of silence. Woo, I was under conviction. So I'm going to read it for you so you can be just as convicted. She writes this. Silence challenges our cultural addiction to amusement, words, music, advertising, noise, alarms, and voices. Woo, addiction. When we come upon silence, we feel it. Most of us don't drive in our cars in silence. Got to turn on music, talk radio. People don't like me right now, but that's okay. We break the silence of travel with our iPhones, our Samsung, the silence of the evening hours with our TV, our computers. Every part of our life is inundated with words. Urgent words, random words, trivial words, hurtful words, managing words, even religious words, and on and on. In the midst of so many words, it becomes difficult to know which messages are really important and which ones 
need to be remembered. Could it be that what we need is time alone with God and a lot fewer words? Do we need to put up a do not disturb sign and learn what it is to be available to God alone? We need to realize that the world can go on without us for an hour or for a day and even longer. Some of us are addicted to the beep, click. As soon as we oh, got to notice. Mm, mm, mm. It's quiet in this Pentecostal church. We don't. Let me look at the clock here. No, no. Let me have you preach to your neighbor. I want you to say this next point. Turn to the person next to you and say, my friend. We don't need to respond to every word and every request that comes our way. As soon as you hear a ping, The discipline of silence invites us to leave behind the competing demands of our outer world for time alone with Jesus. Silence offers a way of paying attention to the spirit of God and what he brings to the surface of our souls. In quietness, we often notice things we would rather not notice or feel. Like a can opener, the silence opens up the contents of our heart, allowing us deeper access to God than we would experience at other times. As we remain in silence, the inner noise and chaos will begin to settle. Some of us, our lives are too noisy. Not our lives on the outside, our lives on the inside. Even as I'm preaching, there's a whole bunch of things that are going on. Mm. In fact, she says, most of us will forget what I've spoken by the time you hit the parking lot because there's so much noise in our lives. And I'm laughing at you because I need to laugh at somebody because I was crying about myself. Because I realized my life, I, I got to have noise. I drive to church. I'll put on a sermon, talk radio. I mean, I have to have some worship music, some, something. I can't just sit in the car by myself with nothing. Ah. Our capacity to open up wider and wider to God grows and the Holy One will have access to places in our lives that we don't even know exist in the midst of all the noise. 
I want to encourage us during this time to silence the noise that's going on in our lives. And we'll let the Holy Spirit let you decide what you need to do to hear his voice more clearly. And my guess is the more desperate you are, the more you're willing to do to hear his voice. Two final points. Let the Sunday school students leave. Uh, Pastor China says something that struck me when she was here. She said, there's immunity in community. There is immunity in community. You get protected from a whole lot of stuff when you're in community. Pastor Chandler said something a few years ago. I don't think it was originated by him, but it really struck me. He said, we grow, we, we, we learn in isolation, but we grow in community. I learned a whole lot about marriage, but when I got married, whew, I grew a whole lot. So this is what I want to challenge you to do. Are you with me so far? I'm going to encourage you during this season of fasting to fast in community. Okay, so let me put it this way. Our fast begins on March 1st. And it ends on April 16th. Are you following me? Everybody following me so far? What I want you to do is to pick 21 days within that 40-day period. Okay? 21 days straight. See, I know. See. You people crack me up. You will find any loophole for your blessing. <laughs> 21 days straight. Lord have mercy. Okay. Now, now, and so this is a blessing to those of you in college. You know, because I, I thought about your spring break. Okay. And I, and, and I didn't want to have you fasting in the middle of your spring break because you probably wouldn't. So, we want to make sure that you choose a 21-day period, anyone you want. Are you following me so far? Now, this is the thing. I don't want you fasting by yourself. I want you to fast in your community. Meaning, for example, the praise and worship team, their ministry, their community, they could fast at the same time. And I'm not saying you should. The Sunday school teachers, they can fast at the same time. Are you following me? If you're... If you have a small group, a small group can fast at the same time. Are you following me? Another thing is uh, uh, families can join each other and fast. So, for example, maybe because, and many of you know, if you didn't know, but you probably know now, uh, Lady Common and Elder uh, Anita, they're sisters. So maybe the Ray family and the Green family will fast together. Okay. Or maybe there's a family you say, you know what, um, I don't know uh, such and such a family that well. Let me ask them if they want to fast along with us. Okay, so you can, whatever group you choose to fast with, fast. But make sure it's a community, not just you and your buddy, but a community. And it will be interesting to see what God does with that ministry or with that small group or with those families at the end of the 21 days.
I'm convinced that this is going to be one of the greatest seasons of seeking the Lord in the history of this church. I believe that. And, and the reason why I believe that, number one, because it's our 90th. And I feel like God is about to put us on a fast track. I'm believing God to break off some bondages. I'm really believing God for some supernatural healings. I'm, believe, I'm, I'm just believing God. I want to encourage you to do this. I, uh, the Lord reminded me of some prophetic words that were and promises that were over our lives as a family, uh, as well as the church. And I would encourage you to write down some of the promises God made to you. And like Daniel, go back to the Lord and pray those promises. Daniel, I imagine, went to the Lord and said, God, you said after 70 years, we'll be released to go back to Jerusalem to build your temple. You said that, Lord. And I believe he prayed into that. And it was because of his intercessory prayer. God moved up wonderfully. In the book, 40 Day Challenge of uh, Prayer by Mark uh, Matthew Barnett. Is it Matthew Barnett? Batterson. Batterson, yeah. He says something that just blew up in my spirit. He said, Prayer is the pen that writes history. Whew. Ain't that whew. prayer is the pen that writes history. And I believe that God wants to change the history of our families and our church if he can find an intercessor, somebody who, who says, like Austin is playing right now, I'm 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 gonna come away with you. I'm, I'm going on vacation with the Lord. I want to encourage some of you. You take days off to go to the doctor. You take time off to, my goodness, to go to the Department of Motor Vehicles. You take time off to go to the dentist. How about taking time off? to be with Jesus imagine what how Jesus would feel and say you mean you're taking a half a day not to catch a flight for your vacation but you're taking that time off to be with me imagine his response to you saying Lord for this half a day, this gets turned off. I'm unplugging. And it's just you and me. You have me. For, the, the, for this half a day, I'd be working on a project. You get this time. 
I'm going away with you. I have my notebook. I have my iPad on airplane mode so that I can, on airplane mode, so that I can record what you say to me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your presence here. And in the quietness, you are trying to get our attention. Holy Spirit, many of us without realizing it, we are on the precipice of one of the greatest seasons in our lives. And you are calling us to come away with you. You desire so passionately to speak to our hearts. Words that will determine history. Words that will determine where you want to take not only us, but our children and our children's children. For some of us, Lord, you want to speak to us about life partners and careers and callings in this moment of setting ourselves to seek you. Holy Spirit, I ask you that this time next year, I'm asking you that this time next year, that we will look back on this season, this 2017 consecration as an epic moment in the history of not only of this church, but of our personal lives. I pray, Father, that we would tell our children and grandchildren it was that time that I set aside to seek God. That changed everything. And so, Spirit of God, we honor you for your presence here. We honor you, Lord, for what you have started Father, show us who show us the community that we should be consecrating with. Show us the individuals that we should be partnering with, so that we can grow together in the things of God and pray for each other and cover each other and hold each other accountable, so that none of us get robbed of the glory of God that you want to use through other people in our lives. Oh, Spirit of God, we honor you for what you're doing.